0: Welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. My name is Paul Matthews, and today I'm bringing you another installment of our From the Pen series. This is where I'm narrating some of my own written work that I've published on the topic of Christian education. Now, this article is entitled Christian Time Travel, Uh, although there's sort of less DeLoreans, less Back to the Future than you may think, unfortunately. We're still looking at an exciting topic, though. We're looking at how we move through time as Christians Jesus Christ is Lord of all Including Lord of time So how does the Lordship of Christ Inform the way that we move through time That's what I'm going to be considering In this article Now if you're looking for something to pair this article with If you haven't listened already Listen to the conversation I had with Kyle Fifield About liturgies This would also pair quite well with the discussion I had with Kyle On thinking routines So without further ado Enjoy this next instalment, From the Pen. The Air Highway holds the unenviable record of being Australia's longest straight road, spanning a bleak 146.6 kilometres. Although driving in a straight line is one of the most basic things you can do in a car, the Air Highway is notoriously dangerous. As it happens, long, straight, sparsely decorated stretches of road can prove quite uninteresting to drivers, who in turn are liable to drive off the road at high speed due to inattention or fatigue. The issue with a road like this is that it has no shape. There is nothing that differentiates any part of it from another. And the monotonous journey can prove fatal. It's remarkably easy for our journey through life to mirror a trip along the air highway. The whole thing is an exercise to be completed as quickly as possible and is to be done with a near lethal amount of caffeine in the blood. Sure, there are a few landmarks here and there, but little that makes us slow down and enjoy the view. Think about your journey through life. Do you have a way of celebrating the passing days, weeks, seasons, or years? If so, how? Is your journey shaped in a way that reflects your most dearly held beliefs? Upon reflection, many of us may find that the way we shape our journey through life is not a process of analysis but osmosis. We do what those around us do. Then, once we've successfully assimilated, we continue to follow this pattern interminably, displaying what sociologists call the status quo bias. In short, we can do what those around us do and then we keep doing it. Although this is perhaps a cynical view of the situation, The truth is that we are shaped by our practices. If we do not deliberately order our lives to reflect the biblical story, we will inevitably be shaped by practices that contain within them an understanding of life that runs counter to the Christian worldview. Liturgy is the technical term for these kinds of formational habits and practices. For many, the word liturgy evokes images of bald men chanting in Latin, or some robe fellow strutting down the cathedral aisle, vigorously swinging a smoking receptacle. But there is more to it than this. James K.A. Smith helpfully defines liturgy as a ritual loaded with a story about who we are and what we are for. Our repeated actions are infused with information about the kind of people we are and the kind of story we find ourselves in. In this article, I'll consider the philosophical and theological power behind liturgies and examine some practical applications to the life of the school community. In his book, You Are What You Love, Smith argues that people are essentially lovers, and it's what we love that defines us. While not appearing immediately controversial, this idea runs counter to the notion that we are primarily thinkers, an idea deeply embedded in Western thought. Our very self-designation, homo sapiens, literally means... The thinking man, human beings as lovers is a presupposition within the Christian Scriptures, as witness in Christ's enunciation of the greatest commandment, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength." Mark twelve twenty. The primary calling on the life of the Christian is to have rightly ordered loves. We see the same notion in the words of the Apostle Paul, who as he calls a colossian church to live in community with one another says and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity colossians 3:14 this notion of humanity as lovers necessarily includes our worship as smith says to be human is to be a lover and to love something ultimate But how does this biblical anthropology shape the way that we work out our Christian faith? Of course, if we were primarily thinkers, then our progress in the faith would be easy. We'd simply need to learn more information. It's not so easy with love. Our love's are actually shaped both by imitation of others and our own practice. As Smith states that, quote, "...moral, kingdom-reflecting dispositions are inscribed into your character through rhythms... And routines and rituals enacted over and over again that become a character trait, a sort of learned second nature default orientation that you tend toward without thinking about it. What Smith describes is a porous boundary between the head, heart, and hand. The intellect is not sitting comfortably in the front seat driving around our actions and loves in a pair of booster seats out the back. Instead, the head, heart, and hand are all pulling together as deckhands to sail the human ship. C.S. Lewis expounded this truth when he gave his commentary on one of scripture's most challenging commands. He said, "Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him." Put plainly, at our core, humans are lovers of things. What we do shapes what we love, and intentional liturgical, biblically informed practices will help us rightly order what we love. Pastor and educator Douglas Wilson has a principle that he returns to often not whether, but which. This is often spoken about in conjunction with the principle of no neutrality. The formula goes something like this It's not whether a worldview will shape your education, but which worldview. Will shape your education. And the same formula can be applied to the discussion about rhythms and liturgies. It's not a matter of whether we engage in liturgy, but which liturgies we engage in. As creatures of habit, we naturally fill our lives with repeated practice. Just as a rich and lively family dinner around the table is a liturgical practice, so is a rush silent dinner where people are glued to their screens. Both are repeated, both are practices, both are formative. And both shape loves. This ties into the central truth about formational learning. Learning happens all the time. You can't part a student's hair at the top and flick off the learning switch. It doesn't stop. We must shape our lives and our students' lives and experiences of learning in a way that intentionally reflects the kingdom we are part of. Why spend time and energy constructing liturgies for a school community that reflect our kingdom focus? and shape our students? Well, because if we don't, we would already be doing liturgies together anyway. In fact, we could be unconsciously learning to love rival kingdoms because we don't realise we are participating in rival liturgies. It's not a matter of whether we have liturgies, but which liturgies we already practise. Rather than float along the stream of unconsciousness and collect whichever habit may come our way, We should see the use of our time as the great resource that it is and use it to intentionally shape and educate those in our school community. Let's consider some school and student liturgies that will allow us to put this theory into practice. First of all, a yearly liturgy, the Christian calendar. Before the Reformation, the ecclesiastical calendar was littered with saints' days and memorials and this resulted in kind of a holy day inflation. If every day is special, then in some sense, no day is special. When trimming the fat from the calendar, the reformers stripped it back to what are known as the five evangelical feast days. It's important to emphasise that rather than calling us to earn our salvation, observance of these days allows us to celebrate key moments in the life of our Saviour, who won salvation for us. The five evangelical feast days are Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, Ascension and Pentecost. Really intentional use of devotions, assemblies, prayers, school productions and class activities can allow us to walk through the critical moments of the life of Christ as a community. Of course, some may object to this, arguing that this kind of school program instils little more than rote formalism in the students, merely having them go through the motions without ever interacting with the underlying biblical story. While we must be mindful of this error, It's poor intellectual form to judge the use of something based on its past misuse. An annual journey through the high points of the life of Christ will help us inhabit the biblical story as a school community. A weekly liturgy, heritage and posterity prayer. One practice that will help ensconce us in time and space is a weekly prayer liturgy that I have dubbed Heritage and Posterity Prayer prayer is often delightfully rife within the Christian school. By adding simple temporal markers, we can use these prayers to draw people into the past, present and future of the community. A simple schedule for a heritage and posterity prayer could look something like this. On Monday, you're looking back. You thank God for the founding families of the school. You thank him for his providence and care in the Founding and building of the school You thank him for the original land, the buildings, the staff, the parents and the students Wednesday, you look around Thank God for the school as it is presently Thank him for the principal, the senior leadership, the teachers, the parents and students Commit any ongoing projects to him Friday, we're looking forward ask God to bless the future generations of the school. Pray for growth, maturity and a continued Christian faithfulness. This weekly journey is designed to foster within students a love for those who came before them, a thankfulness for the school as it is presently and a prayerful hope that the school will flourish in the future. Simply by adding a line or two to our pre-existing prayers, we can help position ourselves in time and draw our students into the school's ongoing story and now a daily liturgy the academic and personal benefits of student reflection have been established in the literature for some time while the benefits are clear it is still common to see students graduate from their schooling without the ability to engage in this essential metacognitive strategy One way of instilling the importance and practice of reflection is to incorporate it as a daily liturgical activity. Providing prompts for students to reflect and make deep connections between their learning and their place in the biblical story is essential. For example, I've been trialling a process whereby students are allocated 10 minutes at the end of the day to engage in a head, heart and hand reflection based on the contents of their learning that day. As I compose the reflection prompts, I try to make sure there is at least one prompt from each domain of the tripartite. The prompts will look something like the following. What was the most exciting or interesting thing I learned today? Why did I like it? What impacted me emotionally today? Did it impact me in a helpful or unhelpful way? How can I use what I've learned today to help other people? When am I going to put this into practice? This reflection takes place in the head, checks in with the heart, and paves the way for the hand. I hope that this process becomes so ingrained within the students that long after their schooling is over, they will instinctively reflect on their daily practice. These examples of yearly, weekly, and daily practices only scratch the surface of what is possible when we seek to shape time in light of the biblical story. Because Christ is Lord of all, He's lord over our passage through time. And it's our role, both as educators and Christians, to ensure our passage through life is intentionally rich and formative. More like a stroll through a botanical garden than a bleak journey along the air highway. Now there are three discussion questions here, which you might want to think about in your own time. The first discussion question is this, What are the repeated actions in my daily practice? What kind of story is contained within these actions? The second question is, what are the high points in my school's calendar year? How do these events reflect the school's core beliefs? Does anything need to be added or even subtracted from the school's calendar to better reflect these beliefs? And the last reflection question is, what kind of habits and practices do I want to ingrain within my students? What are the steps I can take today or this week or this year to help foster these practices?